So our sermon series, Streaming Salvation, uh, concludes today. We're looking at the fourth of four songs that make a claim or, or ask a question about faith or God. And so uh, this song is called Spirit in the Sky. Um, it's perhaps one of the, maybe arguably, one of the greatest guitar riffs in the history of the world, certainly one of the more unique ones. And I want you to know how much I love you to have preached this sermon because that song has been in my head until 2 o'clock yesterday morning. All week it was. It went away 2 o'clock this morning, and, but now it's back because I listened to it again at the first service. So this song came out in 1969, so I was 6 or 7, depending on the time of year that it came out, um, and it was written by a guy who is named Norman Greenbaum. And um, he's Jewish, and he was inspired to write what he considered a gospel song by having watched and listened to a Porter Wagner gospel song. He actually has three gospel singers that are singing backup in this particular tune. But I have always sort of found it naive. I mean, I love the song. And I, and I like this claim, I've got a friend in Jesus, but it always struck me as somebody who really doesn't know the full story about what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. So uh, be forewarned, this may remain in your head for some time. So uh, the interesting sound that he makes was a Fender, for you guitar guys out there, or gals, a Fender Telecaster with a built-in fuzz box. I don't know what that means, but that's how he was able to make that unique sound. So this song is claiming that he's going to get to go to the place that's the best because he has a friend in Jesus. And I, I, I like that. I, I buy that, right? I mean, that's in Scripture. First John says this, Little children, I am writing that the things, I have to get my glasses. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he knows part of the story, right? That we have a friend in Jesus and because we have a friend in Jesus, you know, he's advocating for us with the Father, and, and there's a place in heaven for us. But, but what he doesn't understand is why he needs a friend in Jesus. I mean, there, there's that line that he sang in that little clip that we heard that was, um, never been a sinner, never sinned. Well, wrong. We're all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. Yes, even you, Scott. <laughs> we are all sinners. We are all in need of a friend in Jesus. And I've had this conversation with, with um, adults, um, with my mother, uh, and with confirmands, and other children. Uh, you can never be good enough to get into heaven. Nobody can earn their way into heaven. It's a gift. And so we're really all in the same boat. We are all sinners. 
And let me make sure that you understand, I am including myself in that, because probably I'm the chief sinner, as Paul once wrote. So we're all in the same boat. And so our text today comes from the book of Romans. It's the third chapter, verses 21 through 26. So hear these words. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed, and it is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the book of Romans uh, it's one of the seven undisputed letters of Paul that we've talked about. There's no doubt Paul wrote it. And, and it takes the form of a letter, sort of. So there's this intro, and then there's a closing that feel kind of letter-like. But th the rest of it is like, really could be described as a theological treatise. G Paul is kind of proving, these are sort of like his bona fides to the to the church at Rome. This was a church that he did not found. Most of the letters that we read from Paul are to churches that he founded, places where he had a relationship. Uh, but here, in the case of this church in Rome, uh, he did not have really any relationship with them. He did not found it. And he actually uh, had a plan uh, to go to, on a missionary trip to Spain. And it was his hope that this church in Rome would help finance it and that he could use that church as sort of a jumping off place to go on to Spain. And well, why Spain? Well, I was just pretty much the end of the world back then. And Paul saw in it some really fruitful opportunity uh, for the kingdom of God. So our text has a word that, that I want to kind of clear up for you, and it's righteousness. It's used several times in this text, and, and, and this idea of righteous um, may have some baggage for us, because so often we want to use it um, in a sort of negative way. Oh, she's so self-righteous, or he thinks he's more righteous than everybody else. Well, in the case of Paul, he is really using this word righteousness to talk about a right relationship with God. That, that's really how he's using it. So, so kind of forget whatever baggage you have with this word righteous or righteousness, and, and know that as Paul talks, he's talking about a right relationship with God. And so we know that, that our right relationship 
with God was, was turned around when sin first entered the world. When we first chose to do our will over God's will, sin, brokenness, and death entered the world. And it, God has tried many times, if you look back at the Old Testament, there's, depending upon how you count them, five to seven covenants where he's tried to restore that relationship. And guess what? We kept messing it up. And, and so finally, it's as if Jesus, God says, oh, fine, let me show you. I will send my son Jesus. This is what love looks like. This will restore our relationship through faith in Jesus. And so that's, that's what happens. That's what Paul is talking about. And he reminds us that all fall short of God's glory. All have sinned. But as Norman Greenbaum reminds us, we have a friend in Jesus, an advocate, one who through our faith in him recommends us to God and forgives us of our sin. And just let me remind you, no matter how awesome you think you are, you're a sinner. And so am I. There is no distinction, Paul says. All have sinned. None of us are good enough to be deemed righteous. So it strikes me that there's maybe three ways that can we respond to this gift of having been forgiven of our sin. I, I think the first response, and one that I think the church at Corinth did because Paul had to write a letter to him to correct them, was, woohoo, I'm in heaven. I can do whatever I want. That's part of what Paul was writing to the church at Corinth about. Well, no, not quite. Yes, you're forgiven, but uh, there's some other things that are supposed to come with it. So, so it's not like carte blanche. I get to do whatever I want. But, but there's another extreme that it, some of us can go to. And that's that we carry our sins around like they're a bag full of rocks. And we drag them around with us wherever we go. And I, in my 21 years in the pastorate, I have had people tell me, this is a quote, Mike, you don't know what I have done. God cannot forgive me for the horrible things I've done. And I look at them and I say, excuse me, what makes your sin so special? I mean, how is your sin somehow worse than my sin? No. God forgives you. You don't need to carry it around like it's a bag of rocks dragging you down. You are free through your faith in Christ Jesus, free from that burden. 
So I ran across this story the other day. There was a missionary, her name was Rosaline Goforth. She was a well-known missionary in China. Uh, she and her husband enjoyed a long uh, season of service in Asia. And, and as she was there, she kind of came to a point in her life where she was just oppressed by the burden of sin in her life. She was dragging all of her sins, all of her failures as spiritual failures around with her like a big old bag of rocks. And so she decided that she was going to sit down one night and she opened up her concordance. Remember those? It'd sort of be like opening up the internet. And she decided she was going to search for what God does with our sin. And she came up with 17 verses in Scripture, and I'll, have, I'll post these on social media either today or tomorrow for you to look at. But this woman was carrying around this burden of sin. She sat down to do a little Bible study, and this is what she came up with. This is what God does with our sin. It's what she wrote on the top of the page, what God does with our sins. He lays them on his son, Jesus Christ. Christ takes them away. They are removed an immeasurable distance as far as east is from west. When sought for, they are not found. The Lord forgives them. He cleanses them all away by the blood of his Son. He cleanses them as white as snow. He abundantly pardons them. He tramples them underfoot. He remembers them no more. He casts them behind his back. He casts them into the depths of the sea. He will not impute us with sins. He covers them. He blots them out. He blots them out as a thick cloud. He blots out even the proof against us, nailing it to his son's cross. Folks, there is no reason for you to be carrying around the burden of your sins. Jesus has paid the price, and our friend Jesus is saying, put it down. You don't need to carry these any longer. And I would propose to you that there is a, a third way for us to respond to this gift, this gift of forgiveness that comes to us through Jesus. And that is with gratefulness. That, that we remember in the morning and in the evening, that we are sinners, but we are forgiven. That, that Jesus has paid the price. That we are free from sin because God won't remember them. God has trampled them underfoot, cast them into the sea. They are no more.
This third way is out of gratefulness. We respond to this gift that we have received with an effort to be more Christ-like every day. To be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and in this community. And to do so with grateful hearts for this extraordinary gift of forgiveness that we have been given. John Wesley talks about uh, sanctification, that we are, we are moving on to perfection. And let me help you. That does not mean perfect. That does not mean without error or without flaw. It means mature, whole. That's what we're striving to become as grateful followers of Jesus. It's more mature followers, more Christ-like followers of Jesus. And this is something we should do out of gratefulness for this amazing gift that we have been giving. Frankly, one that we really have a hard time understanding. But as Norman Greenbaum says, we have a friend in Jesus. We're going to go to the place that's the best. But I've got to change that one line in the song. I am a sinner. I always sin. But I have a friend in Jesus. So as you go out from this place, go out with gratefulness of this extraordinary gift that you have been given through your faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this extraordinary gift, <clears throat> for all that it means to us, and for all, all that it is, even though we don't fully understand it. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.